lovely to see you all here today. Uh, can I uh, invite you to turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 to 24. Most helpful if you've got it on your Bible or your device or the order of service. It will still come up on there, uh, but you might see it better in context when you look at it, the whole passage in one shot. All right, so uh, Matthew 11, verses 16 to 24. Well, one of the uh, uh, good things uh, of being in a church like this one is that we often have people who start coming here as unbelievers. You might think this is a little bit strange, you know. Sometimes when I bring communion around and people say, no, I think, ah, oh, very good. Okay, not because I think it's good this person's not a believer, lah, but it's good that we've got non-believers here, right? That's, that's good. We want to see that happening, right? Uh, but we've got people who come uh, and over a period of time, they, they meet Jesus in his word. Uh, they might have been here for a few weeks, uh, might have been here for a few months, uh, sometimes even for many years, right? There's some people who come to church for years before they truly believe. Uh, maybe they started coming with family or friends, or maybe even started coming as children brought by their parents. Uh, and then one day, many years later, the Spirit works in their hearts and opens their eyes, and they come to trust in Jesus for themselves. Well, if you are here today, and you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, then today is a good day for considering your response to him. You've heard about him, you've read about him, you've been told over and over again who he is, what he came to do, what are you going to do with that? And our passage today addresses you and your response to Jesus. Our passage today also addresses believers. We all seek to glorify God by making Jesus known, but what if I'm not as gifted as my friend over there who's obviously a successful evangelist? What if people ignore me or reject me when I tell them about Jesus? Does it necessarily mean there's something wrong with me? Should I give up? Should I feel really guilty that I haven't led many people to the Savior? Am I just a lousy messenger? Well, in our passage this morning, we see how people respond to Jesus and to John the Baptist, his messenger. And of course we know that many crowds came to them, both of them in fact. But eventually, John the Baptist was put in jail by King Herod. And Jesus too would be rejected, especially by the leaders of Israel. And Jesus reflects on, on this rejection in the first part of our passage this morning. He says in verse 16, he says, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces, calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Right? So Jesus saying this generation is like the kids. Uh, say, okay, let's play parties. Right? So we're going to play the flute. But then their playmates don't, don't dance to their tune. And so they complain. Uh, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. Or they might say, let's play funerals. Right? When I was a kid, we never played funerals. Right? Police and thief, you know, combat, you know, shoot each other, right? but never funerals. But in those days, the two big occasions for a whole community right, is weddings and funerals. Right? Not, not, not much other entertainment. So they, they remember, la, and then they play these games. And the kids wanted to play. They sing a dirge, right? expecting their playmates to play along and to mourn. But they don't do that. So they complain as well. Huh? We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. 
Now notice it's the kids who are saying this. It's the generation is like the kids. Right? It's not Jesus complaining that the people are not responding to him, at least at this point. The people of Israel are like the children and they are complaining. And what are they complaining about? You know, verse 18 and 19. For John came neither eating or drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, John the Baptist out there in the desert living a very austere life, surviving on locusts and wild honey, preaching the word of God. That's it. He's weird. Must be mad. Or worse, he's demonized. He won't eat and drink and party and do all the things that normal people do. You know, he, he needs to relax and calm down. Stop being so austere. Be so focused, so, so condemning about us, so, so judgmental. But we play the flute, never dance. Don't like him. And then Jesus came, eating and drinking, mixing freely with all kinds of people, some of them seedy, loving them, sharing meals with them, spending time with them, and in the midst of them, bringing God's word and, and seeing sinners come to genuine repentance. And what do the leaders say? He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. Hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. Oh, you, you can tell a man by the company he keeps, right? And this, Jesus keeps bad company. In fact, he's terribly irreligious. Right? We wanted to make sure his disciples observe, you know, the Sabbath properly, but he, he's not listening. We want to teach his disciples to fast like our disciples, like the disciples of John the Baptist. Never fast one. We play the dirge. Funeral song. Doesn't mourn. We don't like him either. Can't win now, huh? some people. Right. Go one way, find fault. Go the other way, also find fault. Because actually, the thing that they're presenting as the complaint is not the real complaint. It's not the real complaint. The real issue is that they don't want to submit to the word of God, isn't it? They don't want to let God call the shots. The only God they will tolerate the only messenger of God they will tolerate is the one who will dance to their tune. People prefer to follow a religion of their imagination or culture and that is so much nicer than dealing with the God who is there. And so they will find all kinds of things about the messengers of God's word that they don't like and dismiss the messenger and the message that they bring. Of course, sometimes they have a point lah. Sometimes Christians act in despicable ways. Sometimes we do the wrong things. Sometimes we pretend, people pretend to be Christians and they are preaching the wrong things and doing the wrong things. Sometimes we're insensitive. Sometimes we fall and we fail to live up to the message we preach. Sometimes we're a bit stupid in the way we do things. But many times it's not the case. Certainly not the case with Jesus and John. And even when it is the case, our mistakes and inadequacies don't actually change the reality about Jesus. So even if people dismiss us, they still shouldn't dismiss Jesus. The people of Jesus' day dismiss both Jesus and John, his messenger, even though they were both very different. But neither of them would dance to their tune. Neither of them would fit their expected mold. And they use that as an excuse 
to write them off. I hope if you're not a believer, but you're listening to the sermon today, that you are not someone who has written Jesus off. I'd like to think that if you're still coming, that it's because you're being drawn to Jesus. You're keen to listen. But I know there are people who might come to church for whatever reason who have already decided that they don't believe in Jesus and they don't want to believe in Jesus. Or they don't want to live by his ethics. Or they don't want to be identified with him. So they come with whatever excuse to write him off. Please don't let that be you. And if it is you, please think again. You don't have to be like those children in the marketplace. It's the wrong way to approach Jesus because Jesus is not there to fulfill your expectations. We saw that last week, didn't we? He's not going to jump when you say jump. He's not the boss. Now, you're not the boss. He's the boss. You've got to come on his terms, not yours. You can't say, I'd like my God to, to be like this. You don't get to make God up. You have to say, what is God like? How has he revealed himself in Jesus? And then submit yourself to him. People used to think the earth was the center of the universe and the sun and the moon and the stars all revolve around us. And Copernicus helped us to realize that no, that's not the case. The earth revolves around the sun. And that changes the whole way we think about astronomy. And my friends, you and I are not the center of the world. No matter how much we'd like to be. God is. We don't get to define God, what he does, how he ought to work. He is the one who has to tell us who we are, how we ought to think, what we ought to do. And that God has revealed himself to us clearly and truly and definitively in Jesus Christ. So modify your expectations about Jesus instead of wanting Jesus to meet your expectations. Please don't reject Jesus. There is a lesson here for believers as well. Because John and Jesus, they were as different as chalk and cheese, right? And yet, they both proclaimed the kingdom. John, the austere forerunner, Jesus, the partying king. Didn't have the same role, didn't do ministry in the same way, very, very different kind of style. But each faithful in the ministry God had given them. And each were rejected by the world. And brothers and sisters, God has given us all different gifts, different personalities, different areas of expertise, different ways of doing things, different roles to play in the spread of the gospel. Some, some of us are a bit more confrontational. That's okay as long as we do it in love. Some of us are a little bit more relational. That's okay as long as we make sure we get the hard part of the message across as well as the nice bits. Uh, some are easygoing, some are intense, some are quite talkative, uh, some are quieter and, you know, greeting time, five minutes is very long. Um, some of us can speak very confidently about the gospel. Others, better to in just invite someone to come and let someone else do the talking. Some go out of the streets and preach to strangers. Others, <laughs> but, you know, I can, I'll share that quietly with my family and friends. We don't have to be the same as each other. But let's all do our own part for the sake of the kingdom. Let's be faithful. And let's be prepared for the world to reject our message. And when that happens, it's not necessarily because of the style that it comes in. People will look for an excuse. 
uh, and they will criticize us for not meeting their expectations. But we can't meet everyone's expectations, and we don't have to. We need to trust Jesus, lead godly lives as defined by the Bible, not by the world. We need to speak the truth in love to others. And if we are doing that, then let's not be too quick to blame ourselves when people don't believe. Jesus will not dance to the tune of the world. We must dance to his tune. And we must continue to do that even when people say, oh, the reason I'm not a Christian is because you won't dance to my tune. And kind of like try and manipulate that kind of way. You know, don't, don't, don't be intimidated by that kind of talk. Right? It's to follow the world instead of Jesus. That's a big mistake that well-meaning people, including, sadly, Church of England bishops, are making in the West. You read about that? They think the church must dance to the world's tune instead of to God's tune, which is given us in the Bible, in order to remain relevant to society. No, 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 no. That's the wrong way of thinking. We must love people. We must seek to adapt, the, to bring the gospel to people. All those things, yes. But it was never watered down the gospel, never changed the Bible's ethics to make it fit what society wants to see. Jesus and John were both rejected. And if we are to be faithful, then we must be prepared to be rejected as well. So Jesus came with one style, people rejected him. John came with one style, also can I reject it? And you might have thought that God made a mistake. Maybe it would have been better to send someone a little bit more moderate than John. Or maybe Jesus ought to have been a little bit less radical in his acceptance of others. But Jesus says at the end of verse 19, yet wisdom is justified or vindicated by her deeds, or some versions have it, her children. In other words, God knows what he's doing. In his wisdom, he sent John this kind of way. In his wisdom, he sent Jesus this kind of way. And even if Israel rejected their wisdom, wisdom, God's wisdom, will have been shown to be right in the end. For even the rejection of Jesus doesn't mean that God's purposes had been thwarted. God in his wisdom knew what he was doing. Things were still going according to plan. Israel's rejection of Jesus would end up leading to his death. And you see what God has accomplished through that. Friends, let us in our own day have confidence in God's wisdom. Let us stick to his word and dance to his tune. And even if that means setbacks now, God's way will be shown to be right in the end. At the same time as God is sovereign, human beings are still responsible. And so in verse 20, Jesus begins to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works have been done because they did not repent. Those cities, uh, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, they were all little towns on the north shore of the Lake of Galilee uh, where Jesus had been ministering. And Jesus says in verse 21, 
Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Tyre and Sidon, they were wealthy, affluent cities in Old Testament times. Coastal centers of trade and commerce. We've read about one of the prophecies about them in our Old Testament reading today. Very affluent, but filled with pride and arrogance. They were so self-sufficient that they thought they didn't need God. Uh, in fact, so arrogant was the king of Tyre that he proclaimed himself to be a god. You go to prophets Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos. They all prophesy in, in very dramatic terms about the awful judgment God was going to pour out upon them. But Jesus said, it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for those little villages of Chorazin and Bethsaida. And it's not just Chorazin and Bethsaida. Jesus continues in verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it will remain to this day. Remember, Sodom, Sodom is a cisbed of iniquity. A city so morally corrupt that when God's angels visited to save Lot from it, the men of the city wanted to rape them. It's a city that gave sodomy its name. A city that was proud of its sin, paraded it in public. A city that did detestable things before God, while being arrogant, overfed, showing no concern for the needy. A city where God couldn't even find ten righteous people. And a city got destroyed with burning sulfur. And Jesus said to the little people of that little town of Capernaum, in verse 24, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Tim said these were tough words just now, didn't he? Tough words indeed. But what do we learn from this? Well, firstly, we're reminded that there is a day of judgment to come. Right? The judgments that Tyre and Sidon and uh, Sodom experienced back in those Old Testament times, they were not the end. There is another judgment for them on the last day. And the people of Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida, they would face that same judgment on that day. As will the people of Kuala Lumpur and Pataling Jaya and Klang. There is a day of judgment to come. Secondly, we learn that on that day there will be various degrees of punishment. So Jesus is able to say to, to Chorazin and Bethsaida, it will be more bearable on the day of, uh, of judgment for, for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And he's able to say to Capernaum, be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you because there's various degrees of punishment, which means that God is able to titrate it accordingly. All right, it's not one size fits all when it comes to God's judgment. Uh, God doesn't just bring random destruction. No, no, no. He brings a judgment that takes into account everything. It's carefully balanced, finely honed, retributive. And even among those who fall under the condemnation of God, it would be more bearable for some than for others on that day. Thirdly, we realize that God can take everything into account when dispensing justice. 
including the different circumstances people are in, right? People, Jesus knows what the people of these ancient evil cities would have done if things were different. Right? Now, God always judges according to what we've done, right? That's the nature of justice. But he can also take into account things that we could possibly never know. He knows and takes into account what opportunities people had, how these would, things would have been different, how things were if they were, you, know, you and I, of course, could have the foggiest about any of these things. Right? Which is a good reason why the final judgment belongs to God. God will judge the world with justice. And let's be clear. Jesus is not indicating that the people of Tyre and Sidon and Sodom are actually saved from the day of judgment. Right? It's not a question of salvation. Salvation is by grace over and above judgment. The issue here is retribution based on culpability. Perfect justice. At the moment, justice in this world is always partial and incomplete. Some will get off easy, some gonna hit hard. Some who get away with doing wrong, some get punished even if they don't do something wrong. There are some who start off with more privileges than others. Some who are dealt with a very difficult stack of cards to play with. God takes everything into account on the day of judgment. And in the day of judgment, all gets sorted out. Justice will be done and be seen to be done. Finally, and this is the main point that Jesus is making here, exposure to Jesus increases culpability. Exposure to Jesus increases culpability. Uh, the Israelite cities where Jesus did his miracles had more to answer for than the wicked cities of all. Because they had seen Jesus doing his miracles, performing the works that the Old Testament predicted would happen when God came to save his people. And what did they do? They rejected him. You can't blame Sodom and Tyre for rejecting Christ. And neither will God. They have been judged and they will be judged according to what they've done. But Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, they are more culpable. They are not only guilty like the rest of humanity for our rebellion against God as creator, but they are guilty of turning away from him again when he came to save them. For it's whenever people are exposed to Jesus, whenever the word of God is preached, it brings judgment as well as salvation. And God's word accomplishes its purposes. Because you see, when Christ is preached, some people put their faith in him. Some people believe in his death on the cross, bearing their sins in their place. They believe that he rose from the dead. They fall down before him as Lord and King. And for these people, the word of God is a word of salvation. Brings escape from the judgment to come. Because on the cross, Jesus took the judgment for their sins. Bore all their sins in their place. Faced their punishment for them. Took the full wrath of God for everything they've done. So that justice is satisfied. That sin has been paid for. And God can forgive them without implying their sin doesn't matter. So when they turn from sin, they trust in Christ. The state is wiped clean. The, Message the gospel brings salvation to some. But there's another reaction when Christ is preached. Uh, some people refuse to believe, refuse to trust in Jesus to take away their sins. 
they will not submit to him in obedience as their king. And so, and so like the miracles of Jesus, the word of God increases their culpability. The gospel message only makes their situation worse because their rejection of it brings judgment upon themselves. So friends, how are you responding to Jesus? Are you going to dismiss him? Find an excuse why you don't like him? Find fault with Christians? It's not hard to do. Then use it as an excuse to say no to him? Friends, we've got to be careful that we are not people who just hear the gospel. Because hearing the gospel is not enough. It's not enough to know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's not enough to know that he rose from the dead and will return to judge the world. If we, in fact, if we just know, probably would have been better not to know. We need to believe it. And not just believe it as a fact of history. But we need to give our lives to the Lord Jesus, the King whose gospel it is. We need to trust him to remove our sins by his death on the cross. We need to turn from sin, surrender to him, to offer him everything we are and everything we have for his glory. And unless we do that, then coming to church and hearing all about Jesus has only made our situation worse than it was before. And it'd be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Tyre, Sidon and Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum than for us who have heard the gospel of Jesus in all its fullness and then turned away from him. Friends, we have been warned. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have indeed revealed yourself to us in your Son. We pray that you have mercy on all of us here. Would you please soften our hearts that we might respond rightly to Jesus. And having done that, may we, may we be his faithful messengers, even if that means rejection by the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name.